Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for how much you love us and care for us. We thank you for your word and ask you to guide and lead us and have the Spirit show us what you want us to see. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 Kings chapter 22. We left off with Ahab getting a curse from God that he was going to die. None of his, all of his children, all of his male children were going to die. He and his children were not going to be buried. They were going to be eaten by dogs and birds, depending on where they were. Where, where they died, and we found that Ahab repented. And God says, okay, it won't happen in your lifetime, but it'll happen in your son's lifetime. And so we're going to look in this chapter at how Ahab dies, and he actually gets buried, and he's going to be the last one in his family to get buried, but he is still going to die. God did not lift the curse of death upon him, but he did uh, lift, uh, lift off the punishment of being eaten by the dogs, uh, as, uh, partially anyway. So starting at verse, chapter 22, verse 1. And they continued three years without war between Syria and Israel. And it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said unto his servants, Know you that Ramoth in, in Gilead is ours? And we be still and not take it and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle to Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, I am as you are, my, my people is your people, my horses is your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray you, at the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said unto them, Shall we go up against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man, Micaiah the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him, for he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. And the king of Israel called an officer and said, Hasten hither, Micaiah, the son of Imlah. All right, so we're going to stop there for just a moment. Uh, we see that there is relative peace in in uh, Israel at this point, it's the northern kingdom. They have not fought Israel, uh, Syria, for three years, it says. Now, we're going to find out that this is not a full three years, but a part of three years because of the way, we, the way it breaks down. Um, but remember, they've already had two battles against Syria that God has defeated them both times. The first one was just out outside of Samaria. And then in the valley where they said that God couldn't, that their God couldn't, uh, wouldn't lose in, and God said, fine, because they've, they've attacked me, I'm going to have them defeated. And so it's been three years at peace, and we have in verse 2, and it came to pass in, in the third year that Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. Now this is always kind of funny to read, he came down because he is in the southern kingdom and he's going north to visit <laughs> this kingdom. But they always refer to anybody leaving Jerusalem as going down because Jerusalem is so high. You always go up to Jerusalem and you always come down from Jerusalem. And so Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, comes down to visit Ahab. 
Now this is a very interesting thing because Jehoshaphat is one of the good kings of Israel. All right, he is in Second uh, Corinthians seventeen seven through nine. He institutes the priests going out and the Levites going out and teaching the people the word of God, which is what they're supposed to do. So he tells them, get busy and do your work. And he, and he institutes that. In 2 Chronicles 19, he tells the judges to judge properly. Do not, do not get bought. Do not pay off. He goes, do righteous judgment. In uh, 2 Chronicles 20, he seeks the Lord when he's attacked to decide whether to go to battle or not. Uh, the last half of the uh, Second Chronicles 20 tells us that he was a good king. He cleared out idolatry worship except in the high places. So the high mountains he didn't clear it out. And the reason for that was the people did not let him. So I think, it, I think he kind of would keep destroying them and people kept building them. And he finally just said, I'm not going to keep going. I'm not going to do battle with the people in the high places. But he was a good king. He's one of the best kings of, of Judah. And he's visiting one of the worst kings of Israel. Uh, and visiting him. And Ahab says you know, to his servants and, and Jehoshaphat, do you realize that Ramoth Gilead is ours and it is still there and we haven't taken it back from the king of Syria. Now if you don't know where Rahab, Gilead, Ramoth Gilead is, it's in the... It's east of the Jordan River, just below uh, um, in the area of Gad and, and Manasseh. It is one of the cities of refuge that was appointed by um, Moses. And so this is a city that has very special place because if you remember, the city of, cities of refuge are where you would run. If you accidentally killed somebody, you would run to the city of refuge and you'd be protected at least long enough to have a court case uh, from the family that was trying to kill you. If they found you innocent, you had to stay in the city of refuge until the high priest died. And if you were found guilty, then you were sent back to town to be executed. Uh, anyway, so this is a very important city and it's in, the, it's in the possession of the Syrians. And so... Uh, Ahab is making it sound like, well, this city's really important to us religiously, so we have to go get it back. And this is kind of funny, is he keeps playing games with, with religion. He's not following God, he's not, not worshiping God, and yet he keeps doing things that are supposed to be godly. And so he's there and he goes, and he asked uh, King Jehoshaphat, will you go up with me to, to this battle? And, and Jehoshaphat says to him, you know, hey, we're, we're kindred. They're not related, other than he's the southern kingdom of Israel and, and Ahab's the northern king of Israel. His people are, you know, of, of the Israelite tribe, uh, Jacob's family. And he goes, my people are your people, my horses are your people. Sure, and basically saying, I, I'm willing to go with you. I'm willing to go, go with you in this battle. But he has one very interesting caveat in verse 5. He says, inquire of the Lord, a, a word from the Lord today. Now, he's telling Ahab this. Ahab does not worship God. He's been killing the prophets. He doesn't like Elijah. He's been killing all the other prophets off. And he produces 400 prophets. <laughs> 
to prophesy on whether they should go. And it's very clear from the context of these that these are not God's prophets. These are prophets most likely of Baal or Ashtoreth. So he's, he's, he gathers up his prophets. I don't know what he's trying to do. Maybe he thinks he can fool, fool Jehos- Jehoshaphat about this or what. But he gathers together these prophets and he, go, and he asks them a question. Should I go to battle or should I stay, stay here and, and not going to? Think about this. He's been at three years of peace. The only reason he's won the two battles is because God has given him victory. And yet he doesn't recognize it. And now that he has peace, he's ready to go start war again. Uh, very interesting character. But you know, how many times do we even do the same thing? When we get away from God, we're willing to do really dumb things in our life that are going to cause more problems than, than we realize. And he doesn't understand all the problems that are going to happen to him. But these guys give out. And Jehoshaphat in verse 7 goes, Is there not a prophet of the Lord besides these that we can inquire of? Now, I don't know what they were doing and how he knew that they weren't of the Lord. Uh, Maybe because he was walking with God, he recognized that their voice wasn't a valid voice of God. Maybe he just knew, maybe they were dressed the wrong way. I don't know. It doesn't tell us how he knew that they weren't godly prophets. But he's got 400 people yammering and, and, and making their comments and all these things and saying, hey, king, go, go do it. You know, you're going to be blessed. You're going to, you're going to win. And his question to Ahab is, is there not one? <laughs> is there not one man of God that you can call? And this is very interesting. You know, does he know... Ahab has killed off the prophets. Does, does he know that Ahab isn't following? I hope so. I can't believe that he would be that uninformed. It's possible, but I don't think he's that uninformed that, to realize that these aren't, but he recognizes these are not prophets of God. And Ahab's answer is kind of funny. Hey, yeah, there, there's one. Yeah, there's more than one. He could have called Elijah, but he knows Elijah's not going to be giving him anything good. He goes, ah, there's one man. His name's Micaiah, um, that he can inquire of the Lord, but I don't, you know, he says, I hate him. I don't like him. He never prophesies anything good about me. Yeah, and this is kind of funny. The world's attitude toward people who speak the truth is always this. They don't like me. They hate me. They, they never say anything good to them. All they do is tell me I'm a sinner, that I, that I need to repent, that I'm going to hell. They never tell me anything good. And this is basically what he's saying. This guy never says anything good about me. They are, they're always telling me I need to repent. They always tell me I need to get rid of the, the idols that we're worshiping. And he's not willing to do that. And, you know, and this is so interesting because Josiah says, don't say such a thing. <laughs> you know, these guys are speaking the truth. There's not, and Josiah has a totally different attitude toward the prophets of God. He's like, they may say bad things, but you need to be listening to God's word. And this is important for us. There's so many times when we may not like what we hear. We may not like what we read. We may have our toes stepped all over us when we're listening to a pastor preaching or a teacher teaching. But, you know, if it's from God, we need to accept it for what it is and say, 
I accept it. I'm going to repent. Unfortunately, Ahab is so bad, he hears it and says, I'm just hated. And, you know, he just says nothing but bad against me because he hates me. And this is something that we have to be careful of. And when I hear people talk about their pastor stepping on their toes and hating it, I'm going, if, you, if your pastor is a godly person, then you need to take and say, why are my toes being stepped on? Is that you deserve to have them stepped on. And I've had my toes stepped on many times, especially by these pastors on the radio that keep talking about the things I have problems with sometimes. And it's like, and it's always the same week that they all talk about the same problem. Now, I don't know how they managed to do that. They all got together the week, a month or two ahead of time and planned this, I know, but, you know, <laughs> it's Pastor Ralph. You've got you to preach to him. <laughs> you know, uh, but, you know, we all, have this, we all have this issue, and, you know, none of us like to hear it when, when God is speaking to us. But we need to humble ourselves and say, God, I hear your words. Ahab was not wanting to hear the words. And... Uh, Jehoshaphat was saying we need to hear from God you want me to go with you I need to hear from God and so they go out and verse 9 and the king of Israel called an officer and said hasten hither Micaiah the son of Imlah and the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat the king of Judah set each on his throne having put on their robes in the void place of the entrance of the gate of Samaria and all the prophets prophesied before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Kenna made him horns of iron and said, Thus saith the Lord, with these horn, uh, with these shall you push the Syrians until you have consumed them. And all the, all the prophets prophesied, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into, your, into the king's hand. And the messenger that was gone to call Micaiah spoke unto him, saying, Behold now the words of the prophets does declare good unto the king with, with one mouth. Let your, words, let your word be one with them. Speak that which is good. And Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says unto me, I will speak. All right. So you got 400 men <laughs> before the king prophesying what he wants to hear preaching to itchy ears you know he wants to hear go to battle and that he's going to win this is what we're going to tell him we're going to tell him go to battle and they're doing it quite uh, eloquently uh, they they bring out their their robes they go on it says the void space it means what it really means is the the space at the gate where judgment happens so they're going out to this place where judgment and they've set up two two thrones and they're they're ready for judgment and the prophets are all up there giving what they want to, what he wants to hear and Zedekiah is kind of very interesting he makes himself some horns and he makes a demonstration with horns running around and saying you know you're, you're going to be successful just as these horns you're going to be able to push him back until you finally win and all the other prophets agree that you're going to go out and you're going to win Quite, a, quite an agreement here. Uh, and you know, one of the things you really do not want if you're a leader is yes men. If you're a wise leader, you don't want people telling you what you want to hear. You want the benefit of their experience and their expertise. These guys are just saying, go. You know, we, we, we are telling you what you want to hear. You're going to be victorious. Maybe they go, you've been victorious twice already, so we know you're going to be victorious a third time. 
But nobody's talking to God yet. And this is going to be a very interesting situation. A whole multitude, 400 people are giving him what he wants to hear. And the soldier that went to get Micaiah says, uh, uh, just a little bit of peer pressure here, Micaiah. Uh, 400 people have all told the king to go to battle. You need to say the same thing. And this soldier does not understand that Micaiah is a man of God and can only say what God says. He just says, hey, you need to agree. You need to be in unison with everybody else. Micaiah says, I can only say what God says. This is very important for us. It is so easy in our world to join the crowd. Because when everybody is saying something wrong and something different, it's hard to go out and speak God's truth. It's very hard in our day to say sin is going to keep you from God. Sin is going to separate you. Sin will send you to hell without Jesus Christ. And that we need to repent of our sins. Those are words that people don't want to hear anymore. Churches, there are many churches in this, in this country that won't speak about sin. Because it might offend somebody to say that they're doing something that's sin. And then, because you're not speaking about sin, you can't talk about repentance because there's nothing to repent from because you're not, you're not talking about sin. So you've lost the two key points about coming to God. That we're all sinners and we need to repent. And so, but this is the voice that's going on. We're being told that you cannot talk about sin. You cannot talk about repentance. You cannot talk about Jesus dying on the cross and his blood covering our sins. We're in the same place that Micaiah is being placed in. Uh, Micaiah, uh, all these other guys are saying, go, you need to say the same thing as they're saying. A lot of pressure on him uh, to speak the truth. A lot of pressure on us to speak the truth. And it's tough. You know, even if you were not a pastor or a prophet, sometimes it's really difficult. Your friends are all talking about going out and doing something that is sinful. What do you do? What do you say? You know, are you going to join them? Maybe not to participate, but be with them, but never say what they're doing is sin. Never tell them that what they're doing is wrong so that they'll go out and sin. You know, the hard part about this, if we don't stand for God, especially with our family and friends, when they stand at the white throne judgment, they will have every right to look over at us and say, why didn't you tell me this was coming? Why didn't you tell me my lifestyle was wrong? They're not going to like to hear it. I can guarantee you they're not going to want to hear that they're doing wrong. But if we want to be innocent of their blood, we need to make sure they understand, no, what you're doing is sinful. Not judgmental, not attacking them, but just saying what you're doing is sin. And it's tough. It is tough. I know we could fill this church if somehow I could find some message that didn't call sin, sin. Because I've met a lot of people that say, well, I won't come because you've said this is a sin and you've said this is a sin. I'm going, well, I'm sorry. It's not me, it's God. <laughs> and, I, and I'm reading the Bible. I have to agree with God and call things what they are. Now, this is tough. It's tough to be a Christian in this world because nobody wants to hear that things are sin. They don't want to hear that living together outside the bonds of marriage is sin. It's called fornication. 
They don't want to hear that homosexuality is sin, which is also fornication because it's outside the bonds of marriage. You know, they don't want to hear that these things are sin. They don't want to hear that it's wrong to not honor God with your, with your, your substance and, and follow God. They don't want to hear any of this stuff. But yet God says, we need to speak the truth, even if it offends people. And the prophets were always speaking. You, know, you read the prophet Jeremiah, and he told God, I'm tired of speaking for you because I always end up in prison. Jeremiah was thrown into prison. He talked to the king, and he'd get thrown into prison. And that was the good times when he got thrown into prison. Sometimes they threw him in cisterns <laughs> with all the mud and water at the bottom of them. You know, they weren't nice to him, and he's going, God, I'm tired of this. He goes, I'm not speaking again for you. And then he said, God's word burned in my mouth. Isaiah had a little better time, but he still, at the end of his life, was sawn in two. Elisha and Elijah are going to be persecuted every time they turn around. And, you know, speaking for God, standing for God is never easy. And God never promises us that we're not going to have a hard time because of it. But you know what? The long-term fact is we're going to be rewarded in heaven for speaking. We're going to be rewarded in heaven for saying the truth. And if we speak the truth to people and they turn, they're going to be happy that we spoke the truth to them. If we don't speak the truth and they don't get converted, they have every right to say, what, you you didn't like me enough to even tell me about this? And, you know, we, we tend to be this way with our friends. We're so afraid to tell them what God says because we might lose them as a friend. But if we're going to lose them as a friend, we might as well lose them on earth rather than for eternity. And this is very important that we reach out and touch people because if they don't change their lifestyle, if they're a Christian, they lose rewards and they should be willing to listen. listen. But if they're not a Christian, they're going to spend eternity in hell and we didn't bother to tell them. And Micaiah is getting ready to tell the message that God has from him. Now remember, he didn't give, a, give the idea of going to Elijah because Elijah always tells him things he doesn't like. Uh, and he knows Elijah is going to tell him in, you know, bad. So he goes, well, there's this other guy. He never really says anything good either, but he's not quite as, you know, as bad. He didn't, he didn't cause it not to rain for three and a half years. He didn't, you know, he didn't destroy, my, destroy my prophets. You know, he might be afraid if he called Elijah, 400 more prophets are going to be dead. Uh, you know, so he's not, he's not even wanting Elijah anywhere near his, his uh, throne. Uh, so he, in comes Micaiah saying, I have to speak what God says. Verse 15. And so he came to the king, and the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go against Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? And he answered him and said, Go and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the, king, of the king. And the king said to him, How many times have I adjured you that you should tell, tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as a sheep that had no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. And let the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would prophesy no good concerning me but evil? And he said, Hear you therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on this throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said on, on this matter and another on this manner. 
And there came forth a spirit that stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go forth and I, with a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, You shall persuade him and shall prevail also. Go forth and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil concerning you. All right. Micaiah comes to him and he's asked the same question the 400 prophets are, should I go up to Ramoth Gilead or should I stay here? And it's very interested, interesting that the answer from Micaiah comes, go prosper for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of, the, of your king. All right, so he gives him what he wants to hear. The answer from Ahab is, how many times have I adjured you to tell me nothing but what is, that which is true? The question is, why does he not believe Micaiah? There's several ideas out there. Number one, he knows that he's not supposed to, which I don't believe Ahab knows that. And one that is very interesting that many of the commentators said, and I kind of tend to believe this, is Micaiah said this with such a mocking, insulting tone that Ahab knew that he wasn't speaking, you know, that he was just agreeing. It was something like, yeah, sure, go on up against, you know, go up, go up like all these guys are saying, you're, you're going to prosper. You know, no, no sincerity behind it. And I believe that's what happened. I really do believe this. Because there's no way Ahab is, is knowing that he's uh, been. And, you know, Ahab's in, in answer is kind of uh, interesting. How many times have I told you to speak the truth? Uh, he doesn't like the guy. He doesn't want to hear truth. If, if anything, he'd say, his answer has been, how many times have I told you to tell me only what I wanted to hear? And yet he's hearing what he wanted to hear, and he's knowing, and knowing that it wasn't what was supposed to be said. And so this is kind of an interesting statement from him, both, both of them. And so I do believe there was kind of a mocking you know, yeah, sure, go, go on up. Go on up and be, you know, be, be like these guys are saying, you're going to prosper, you're going to win. Uh, but it was so, it's, I really do believe it was said in just such a way that it was like, you know, that I'm, you know that I'm being facetious, you know that I'm not speaking the truth. And he's telling him, I want you only to speak the truth. And now he gets the truth. Then he gets the truth. And he goes, I saw... Israel scattered upon the hills with no shepherd. What is he telling him? You're dead. <laughs> you go up there, you're dead. There will be no shepherd anymore because the king considered himself the shepherd of the people and the leader. And it says, these have no master and let them return every man to his house in peace. Now this is kind of an interesting statement because we're going to find out by the end of the chapter that that is exactly what they're told to do when Ahab is killed is to go home in peace. All right, so this is a prophecy as well. Uh, and we see here, he's being very blunt. Ahab, you go out and do this, you will, you will be dead. You're not going to come back. Um, so we've got 400 prophets telling him, go up, you're going to prosper. These are the prophets he believes because they prophesy for his gods. You've got the one prophet of God... <laughs> Saying, you go up and you're, you're not coming back. You're going to die. Very interesting odds going on. 
Uh, Ahab has a big decision to make. Do I obey my 400 prophets that are all telling me what I want to hear, or do I take this prophet of God? And he's also got to consider what is Jehoshaphat going to do? Because Jehoshaphat's hearing the same thing. Jehoshaphat's already discounted the 400. Because he's going, you have 400 prophets, but isn't there at least one prophet from God? So Jehoshaphat's hearing the same thing. 400 false prophets and one prophet of God. 400 saying go, one saying not go. And we're going to find out that Jehoshaphat goes with him into battle. Yeah, I don't know what was going on with Jehoshaphat's mind, um, but it is tough. It is really tough to go against the crowd. Especially one against one. Yeah, especially one. But even, even if it's not, when it's the voice of just one group of people that are speaking out against a very loud voice, it's tough to pay attention. It's very tough, whether it's the, a church speaking out right or the whole of the world speaking out against what God says in the church. And we have, you know, there you have media speaking out against it. You have the, the uh, uh, entertainment industry speaking out against it. Sometimes we even have churches speaking out against the, the, the word of God. And it gets very hard for people to listen because there's so much false narrative being said. And it's been said that if you say the, a lie long enough, loud enough, people start to believe it. And that's exactly what happens. 400 people all speaking a lie, probably very loudly, <laughs> is making an impact on these, on these kings and these people. One lone voice coming out and saying, King, if you go out, you're going to die. You're not going to come back. And the answer from, in verse 18 from, from uh King Jehab is, did I not tell you that he would prophesy no good to, but evil? Yeah, I told you that he had no, no good message for it. He knows that every prophet of God that speaks to him tells him he has to repent, that he's going to die, that his kingdom is coming to an end, and that his children are all, you know, the last prophet that came to him said, you're, you know, you're going to die and your children are going to die and you're not going to get buried, and he repented, and yet he's still not ready to listen to the prophet of God over his 400 prophets of Baal. Um, and it said here, and, and Micaiah keeps going, Hear therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, and all the host of heaven standing by him on the right hand and on the left. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said unto him in one manner, and another said in another manner, and there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. All right. So here we have the court of heaven. And we see the court of heaven several times in the Bible, specifically in Job. God calls the courts of heaven and the angels come in and who shows up but Satan himself. And God, in this case, I think this is Satan who comes up to him and says, I'll, I'll go persuade him. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be the lying spirit for him. You know, one more, one, more, one more soul in hell with me, no problem. I'll go persuade him and whoever dies in battle as well. And, and God is saying, who will be the one that gives the false message? Who is going to give it? And the whole purpose is that Ahab is going to die. He's going to face the judgment for all the sins that he has done. 
And this spirit goes up, I will persuade him. And, and God said unto him, verse 22, wherewith, and he says, I will go forth as a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Who's, in, who's energizing these prophets? Satan himself. All right. We need to understand Satan fills people's mouths as much as God fills people's mouths. He's not as powerful. They, they have to be open to him to be able to do this. These prophets, false prophets have opened themselves up. It is not hard to be opened up unto, to the world and Satan. It's, when they people worship a false god and they open their mind to demonic forces, they're in trouble. This is the problem with lots of things that are going on with false religion. In, when God talks about meditating on his words, it is fully conscious thinking. When the world talks about meditation... It's sit there empty in your brain and don't think about anything so that the, spirit, the demons can come in and, and fill your mind with all kinds of thoughts. All right? Meditation is that way. Uh, hypnosis is that same process. Let's empty your mind, take down your defenses, and then we'll fill it with something. Most of the time, it's going to be evil spirits that fill your mind. You get into drugs and alcohol and empty your mind and do stupid things and... You open yourself to the demonic forces. The demonic forces are very strong in our world because of all the foolishness that people have done to open their brain to such ideas. This is very important for us. that We follow God. We get into his word. We meditate on his word. We meditate on him. We pray to him. God says, come now and let us reason. He says, think. <laughs> all right. He tells us to think. <laughs> The enemy tells us to not think. Just whatever you're, to, whatever you're told, do. Whatever, you're, whatever they say, believe. And some of what they say is, uh, is really ridiculous. And Ahab's willing to listen to lying spirits. Because they're telling him what he wants to hear. And they're doing it with one voice. And they're hearing the words of the demonic and probably having one constant message and this is what happens the drumbeat is constant when satan is involved and he keeps many people speaking the same lie and if you don't like that lie he'll go give another lie for people to believe but this is what's going on and he says the spirit says i will do this and it's a very strong thing now therefore behold the lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets and the Lord hath spoken evil concerning you. So Micaiah is saying, you've got 400 people telling you what you want to hear, but God says nothing good about for you. They're saying that you're going to be successful. If you go out, you're going to die. What an interesting statement. Poor Micaiah has to stand up with 400 people saying evil. Very similar to what happened to Elijah on Mount Carmel. 450 prophets of Baal, all worshiping Baal, trying to get fire to fall from heaven, and he stands up alone and just speaks. Except he gets a nice miracle, fire falling from the sky to, to consume everything. Micaiah just is going to be speaking with all these guys. And you know what? I don't think they were being very nice and being silent while he spoke. They were trying to be louder than him, more bold than him. They tried to, I'm sure they tried to drown out his voice. Because they know that they're not hearing from God. 
they know that they're making things up themselves. Now they're being influenced obviously by the, by the spirit, evil spirits, but they know that they don't want the, the, the prophet of God speaking because it's going to be a problem. And the, he speaks. Now there was somebody listening here as we go on. Verse 24. But Zedekiah, the son of Kenanah, went near and smote Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way did the Spirit of the Lord from me to, to speak to, unto you? And Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see in that day when you shall see, go to the inner chamber to hide yourself. And the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and carry him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus saith the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and with water of affliction until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, If you return at all in peace, the Lord hath not spoken by me. And he said, Hearken, O people, every one of you. All right. Zedekiah, that false priest, the one who had the horns running around saying, these are the horns you're going to be successful with, heard Micaiah speak, and the first thing he did is come and smack Micaiah across the cheek. Uh, and it, I don't know if he did it open-handed or close-handed, but uh, I don't think it was out being nice. All right, so probably closed fist. <laughs> and he says, which way, which spirit told, you know, spoke to me just now? <laughs> Now, he's kind of proving that the spirit, evil spirits have talked to him. He you know, comes in and, and attacks. This is what the world does. They attack the truth. They attack the individual. And it's very interesting, and we hear it all the time in our world. When the truth is spoken, people attack it with physical attacks and with verbal assault and name-calling. Uh, and it's almost like we don't have an argument, so we're going to try to belittle the messenger. This is one of my problems with many of the conservatives and even some Christians who make fun of, the, of their opponents by calling them names and everything. We don't have to do that kind of stuff. We have the truth. The, we speak the truth, and the truth will stand. I don't have to go out and, and name-call my opponents. And we hear this all the time on conservative talk radio. They're always name-calling their opponents. But their opponents name-call them. I mean, it's back and forth, the world's way, back and forth, attacking each other. But when we speak the truth, we don't need to be using that kind of a tactic. All we do is speak the truth. When I talk about creationism versus evolution, I don't need to attack the evolutionist. I just say what the truth is. If I'm going to speak God's word, I don't need to attack an individual character. Now, I will attack what they believe with the truth, but I am not going to need to attack their character and, and name-call them. Because it, when you do that, you're bringing yourself down into their, their ballpark, and you're taking away from truth. Jesus did not attack the individuals. Now, he, he had some harsh language for the scribes and Pharisees. You know, he called them whitewashed sepulchers, the pride of vipers. But all he was doing is saying, not them, but what you're believing, what you're teaching is causing harm. We need to be careful. 
Jesus could get away with it because he knew people's hearts. We can't get away with it. We don't know what their heart is. We don't know why they're saying it. Because many times when you talk to these people, they are speaking what they think is true. And what we need to do is be able to speak truth to them so that they can be changed. But as soon as you attack them personally, it, it makes their dander go up. It makes them go on guard, just as we do. We're no different. When they attack us, we don't like it. And the flesh is saying, attack back. Attack back. We need to be very careful that we do not attack them on the same level that they're attacking us. Because it is so important. We have the truth. We do not need to attack people. We can call what they're doing sin. Know it's sin. We can defend God's word and speak the truth. But if we get down in the pig pen and start wallowing in the mud with them, calling them names and everything, it's not going to do us a bit of good. One of the first rules of debate, one of the first rules of discussion is to stick with the facts. Don't attack the person. And this is what's going on here. They're attacking the person. And we need to be careful as Christians that we don't attack the person that we only speak truth. And this is very important. I've, I've dealt with several different people that, you know, they keep saying very derogatory, negative things about, about the, the opponent, opposing side of whatever view it is. And I'm going, you have the truth. Just step back and let the truth work. Jesus said, the truth will set you free. And all we do is speak the truth. You know, we as Christians have an easy job. We just tell people what God says. Micaiah gets to tell them what he says, and he's going to end up in prison, but that's you know, pretty much what happens to prophets. They end up in prison. Uh, and we, just because we speak the truth, does not mean people are going to like us. Not, they're not going to speak well of us. But we need to be careful that we don't get into the pig pen and call them names and really give them reasons to not like us. If they're not going to like us, let them not like us because of the truth, not because of the way we present it. And I've shared this so many times. We present things in love. And the love does not necessarily mean they're going to like it. When we tell them what they're doing is sin, they're not going to like it. But if we go up to them, you stinking, really awful, terrible sinner, you've you got you to get your life put together. Uh, that doesn't go over, I mean, we have a bad message already, a hard message already, they're a sinner. And then we start attacking them in their position, they're not going to listen. But we go to you, you know what, God says what you're doing is sin and it leads to hell and judgment. You need to correct your life. There's a big difference to say it that way than to come in and go, you're all headed to hell because you're so evil and awful. All right. Yes, that's a true statement. It's a very true statement, but we want to approach somebody in a way that they're going to at least be open to listening. All right? And this is very important. And this is why I say to us, if you notice a friend or a fellow church member that's living in sin, our first option is to pray for them. And we should be praying for them. If we're not, if we're not praying for them, we have no business talking to them about their sin. But even when we do talk to them about their sin, there has to be the love that comes through. I am really concerned about what you're doing 
and where it's going to lead you and the trials that it can, can produce in your life. And, you know, I'm just letting you know I'm praying for you and I'm really concerned about this particular sin. And I've been in the church long enough. I've seen people do it wrong more often than not. Because they'll look at the Bible and says, well, God says that we're to call each other out and to admonish one another. Uh-huh, we are. Are you doing it in love? Have you prayed for them? Or, you know, because I've had people try to help me out. You know, and it's like, okay. Now, if somebody comes up to you, even if they do it wrong, take a little bit to think about what they've actually said. Not, not, not the wrong way they did it, but what did they say and say, do I have this problem in my life? Because you probably do. <laughs> even if they're doing it wrong, you probably have an issue in your life that needs to be dealt with. And you need to step back and not attack them. God will take care of them in their, in their, for what they did. But step back and say, God, is it really true? Do I have this problem in my life? And be re ready to deal with it. Now, it's a lot easier to accept when somebody does it right in love. But you know what? You're still going to react. You still react when they come at you with love. You're not going to react as much, but you're not going to like hearing it. I don't like hearing it when it's been done to me, and the people that I have done it to don't like hearing it. Now, they know it's in love, and they usually don't get too upset because they know that you came with love and concern. But we don't like to be told that we're doing wrong. We don't like to be told that we're making a bad decision. Well, that's it. We know we are anyway. And we don't want to be reminded that somebody else knows that we are. We don't want to be reminded that we're making a bad decision because we've already decided we're going to go do it anyway. Uh, so we don't want to hear that it's wrong. Maybe we've totally convinced ourselves that it's right. And then to have somebody you know, play God's advocate with us and, uh, uh, to tell us that it's wrong is not what we want to hear. But, you know, we need to be able to step back and humble ourselves. And humbling ourselves is not easy. It doesn't matter who you are, who's talking to you. It's hard to humble yourself and say, okay, God, uh, I guess you're talking. I need to be humble and, and pay attention. Now, even having said that, does not mean that even though they've talked to you and they're giving you good godly advice, they may not be right. The end of Acts is a very interesting chapter. Paul is going to go to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to be arrested when he gets to Jerusalem, but he wants to go before Caesar. Over and over again, the leaders and the prophets say, don't go to Jerusalem. You're, there's nothing there but evil. Now the question is, which of them were right? The Bible doesn't tell us. <clears throat> Was Paul right in going? I almost personally believe that Paul went there out of his own feelings of what, of what he wanted to do. Because God was too consistent with the leaders and the prophets of every church telling them, don't go. Now the other side of that is, was, was God wanting him to go and he was testing Paul to see how obedient he would be? We don't know. The Bible does not tell us. And that's one of those ones where it's like, God, I would really like to know, you know, which one was true. You know, which one was true? Was Paul just being obstinate and being disobedient to go? Or were you just testing him and how faithful he would be? I tend to believe that Paul was obstinate and just said, I'm going to go talk to Pharaoh and now's the time to do it. God used it anyway. 
God will always use what we do no matter what, because he did get to go talk to, talk to Nero eventually. He had to wait years in, in house arrest before he got to, and then he was beheaded when he did get to talk to him. But he knew he was going to pay for his life. If he had waited and did what he was said, he might have still gone to talk to Nero without five, years, five six years of house arrest and been able to minister for five more years. We don't know. We do not know on that, and it's all speculation, and we don't know. And we just need to make sure that when God speaks to us, we're willing to do what he says in spite of any opposition that comes our way. And, you know, it is very easy to say that Paul should have not have gone to, to Jerusalem. These guys all had messages, and I think it was from God because it made sense, and it made total sense. Paul, don't go. You're going to be arrested and probably killed. He went, got, got arrested, and got killed. <clears throat> but that's what he's expected of, and that's what he wanted to have happen anyway. He wanted to go preach to Nero. And all of this comes down to, and even during all of this, he had times when he could have not gone before Caesar because Festus and, August, uh, and uh, uh, Felix both told him, if you hadn't appealed to Caesar, we'd have let you go. There's no crime. You didn't commit a crime, but you, you appealed to Caesar, so now you've got to go to Caesar. You appeal to the Supreme Court. Now you've got to go there. Uh, we, we were going to rule for you, you, you know, uh, with no problem. But we need to be aware of what is God telling us. And in that particular case, I wish we knew. I wish I knew which one was being obedient, which one was not being obedient. We don't. And it's irrelevant. It happened a long time ago. Paul ended up talking to Caesar just as he wanted to, wanted to and knew that he was going to. Uh, did, is it a Romans 8.28 that he disobeyed and still got to do it? Is it a Romans 8.28 that if he hadn't, he would have still got to talk to him in some other way? We don't know. <clears throat> right. And we know that God always uses it for good. Always. It's not always good what we did. And the consequence of it may not be the right way for it to happen. But God will always make good happen out of those decisions. It may be the long way. We may, we may get drugged through the briar patch and the, and the thorn bristles and everything in the process, but God will make good come out of it. And Micaiah is arrested. He is sent to jail. <laughs> and he is sent with, you're on bread and water till I return. Kind of an interesting statement. <laughs> and he's going, if you return... <laughs> I wasn't speaking the truth. And basically he's saying, if you return, I deserve to die anyway. Very bold. Very bold in this statement that he's going up before him and saying, King, if you return, I didn't speak correctly. And then he makes one last statement before he's taken away. Hearken, O people, every one of you. So he is now appealing to the people. You have heard 400 people telling him that he's going to be successful. I speak for God. He is not coming back. So when he doesn't come back, know which prophet spoke the truth. He'd also told Zedekiah, you know, and I didn't mention this when we did there. Um, he told Zedekiah, we will see who was true on the day that you hide yourself in the inner chamber 
go into the inner chamber to hide. What is he saying? You lied. The king's going to die, and somebody's going to want you, want you dead because you lied to the king. So you're going to go hide someplace. And he goes, when you find yourself hiding, you will know who spoke the truth. He's being very bold. He is not being a timid mouse during all of this. He is being very strong on his attack. He's going, I'm speaking the truth. And Zedekiah, you, you think you're being bold when you struck me and you think you're being, being very strong. But when you have lied and you're, and you're hiding for your life, you will know who spoke the truth. I'm getting ready to be carried off into prison. And he goes, people, listen. Pay attention to what has been said and what's been going on because they're going to have to deal with the king's death in battle. And he's saying, listen. He's, be, he's doing the same thing that Elijah did on Mount Carmel. Who is on the Lord's side? Now, in that case, it was an immediate fall of, of fire from heaven. Here, Micaiah is going to have to go to prison and be fed bread and water for a few days, weeks, months, however long it takes the king to go to battle. And he's saying, people, listen. There's coming a day when you're going to have to make your decision. Whose side are you on? 400 prophets told him to go, and he's going to die. One said uh, that he's going to come back, but he is going to die. One said he's going to die. Whose side are you going to be on? God often says, Whose side are you on to, his, to the people, including us? Whose side are you on? When we are called to pick a side. Isn't it usually the side that has the most people? Almost always the side with every, that the majority is on is wrong. This is one of the reasons democracies don't work as a form of government because the mob eventually rules for what's good for them, not what's good for the country. And our founding fathers understood democracies didn't work. That's why they built a republic. And they said, even in then, they, they quoted the Greeks, as soon as the, people find, the politician finds that they can buy the vote from the taxes, the republic is dead. Where are we at in our country? Our politicians all know that they buy the vote from the taxes. Our republic is dead. How soon? I don't know, but our republic is dead. This coming election is a big one on whether we're going to have a republic or move further into socialism. God is in control either direction. And I am not worried about either direction. Now, I want to have a republic. I don't want to see a socialist, socialism take over and move into communism. I like capitalism. I like our republic. But you know what? If God says, you have sinned so far that I am going to let the evil come, he's got a plan. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. And many Christians, and if we, the faster we move to socialism, communism, the more likely we are to be arrested and be pushed underground. Will it happen in the next four years? I'm not going to be that prophetic, but it will change drastically and quickly. We need to be ready. Oh, everything has changed. Churches are being attacked in a big way since COVID came out. Churches are being shut down and not allowed to reopen. 
We have governors all over this country that think they're God and can tell people how to run things. We have a very interesting time ahead of us, but you know the good news is God is still on the throne. God is the one that determines who is going to rule. We may think that we get to vote for him, vote for our leaders, and we do get to vote for him, but we're not the one that decides. If, if God wants Biden to win, Biden's going to win. If God wants Trump to win, Trump is going to win. No matter what happens on the other side, no matter how they try to, to get the election, whoever God wants is going to win the election. That's what I tell a lot of And it doesn't matter. Our job is to pray. Our job is to seek a nation that call, comes to repentance. And this is why just recently we had a big call to repentance in, in, in Washington, D.C. that was simulcast all over the country saying, Christians, get your knees. Call this country to repentance. And it's got to start with God's people. If we don't get our act together... The world is not even going to come close to getting their act together. If Christians can't repent and seek God's face, there is no hope for this country. Yes. Daniel, when he gave his great prayer in Daniel, said, we have prayed, I have sinned, we have sinned. It is one very interesting thing because Daniel was a godly man that had no sin could be found in him and yet his prayer was we have sinned, I have sinned. All through scripture we read the great prayers of these leaders and they all when it comes to repentance will say I have sinned. We have sinned as a people including me. We need to get to that place where we recognize God we as a church have sinned. This country would not be where it is today if the church had stayed active in trying to influence this country. But the church backed out of its job of being salt and light to the rest of the country, and we are in a terrible place. The church must repent and say, God, we have sinned. We have caused a big problem. When we have our next uh, first of the month, uh, first of the month prayer meeting, we're going to do more than just pray for the loss this time because it's the 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 day before, it's two days before, uh, three days before the election. We're going to pray for repentance. We're going to pray for the election that God's will be done. You know, I know what I want. I know what I want to have. I do not want to see socialism and and communism come to our country. I am going to be praying for God to repent and this nation to draw into repentance and try to get more time. But you know what? I'm ready for Romans 8:28. Whatever he chooses, God chooses the leaders and chooses the direction of the country. And we're on the on that day, we're going to be praying for what's coming up. Actually, no, that's going to be after the election. We need to pray this weekend. We need to be praying this weekend for the election. Yeah, and which is going to be the 7th instead of the... So, and on the 4th. So we need to be praying. We need to be praying... Uh, 
It's kind of late. <laughs> but this Saturday we're gone anyway. Oh, the 31st. That's right. We might call, we might call a special repent, day of repentance Saturday. So we'll do, a, we'll do a special one. Because I think this is important, to call for repentance and, and ask for God's will and, and stuff. Uh, because it's very important. This election, this election is going to be a big election for the direction of our country. Uh, and we need to be praying. And we need to be praying for repentance and God's direction in all of this. And praying that we will be, that God's people will be ready for anything that does happen. Because it will be very hard for a lot of people if it goes the wrong way. And it's going to be a real test for Romans 8.28 and real test for understanding that God is sovereign. That we need to know that God has a reason. The church was founded under a wonderful Caesar named Nero who was killing Christians and using them for torches on the, in the Colosseum. You know, uh, and and uh, Paul and Peter said, be obedient to the government. Now, that didn't mean do things that were not godly, but he says, you're to obey the government. Now, that means if, if everything turned around and things all of a sudden really dark and God said, and they said, don't have a church, all we're losing is a building. We're still having church. I don't know where we'll have it, but we will lose a building and we will have church. Because that will be one thing that we're not going to listen to the government on. And now eventually we'll end up in jail because of it, but that's all right. All right. So we need to be ready. We need to prepare our hearts no matter what direction things go. If we get more time of freedom, we take freedom. If we get more time headed the wrong way, we prepare our hearts for that as well. We prepare our hearts for what God is giving us. And it's going to be a critical time. And it's going to be critical for us to be in place on what we want. Lord, we just ask you to bless this evening. Lord, prepare hearts. Prepare us to listen to you in all that we do and guide us and show us what you want. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured of eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. 
We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.